It's Thursday the 26th of May 2022 at the time of recording and again I failed to record a conventional interview podcast. So I'm going to do another kind of weird experiment where I'm going to be taking something from the past and looking at it with new eyes. Um, So 10 years ago on the 19th of June 2012 Uh, My friend S, as I'm going to call him, because he doesn't want to be identified, and I recorded what we thought was going to be a new podcast series. Uh, This was in the kind of early days of podcasting when, you know, there was really a sense that anyone could get into it and do it. It wasn't this really competitive corporate thing that we have now. And, you know, it was basically place where people could just have a chat and the podcast we recorded um, which was never released really does just sound like the kind of chats that we were having Uh, neither of us make much effort to make it a professional entertaining funny thing and you know it never it never went out I kind of decided it didn't really work and I felt a bit uncomfortable I could barely listen back to it you know, was cringing so badly at what I was saying. And, you know, that's no good. So I decided at the time that I had to just let it go, abandon it. And in the end, S ended up moving um, away from Glasgow. And we lost touch for a while. Uh, we, we kind of, you know, sent each other messages occasionally, but weren't really kind of close friends as we were before. But but recently, it's been nice to catch up with S. He's been uh, reading uh, the Substack and uh, enjoying it, I think. And, you know, it's, it's caused me to kind of go back through my archives and to think, like, why did I get so embarrassed at these recordings? And is it possible that I can somehow integrate how I was then, how we both were then, into how I am now. And I guess without just obsessing over the past and raking over old graves or whatever, but just to kind of revisit something, to absorb it, and to feel like you've moved on rather than have this kind of thwarted moment, this thwarted energy uh, in your past. So uh, with that, in mind, uh, please enjoy the aborted first episode of the Possible Solution podcast. This is the Possible Solution podcast. Yep. Uh, every week, we're going to be looking at a different issue, and if you want to submit an issue, maybe uh, we'll, you know, we consider one of those. Just to interrupt for a second, I can't quite believe we set up a podcast about giving people advice. I don't think either of us were in any state at the time to give any advice. And you can see as the conversation goes that there's no no actual advice given. I don't think it's been good for me to have been singled out at my hires and then at my first degree as being someone who's intelligent. Because none of my professional experience have gave me... (laughs) any proof to me being intelligent. In fact, it's probably the opposite. So as I've been put into like professional uh, situations, 
time and time again I've just proved how much of an idiot I really am like I can't do basic things like common sense do you think you're like Adam Smith you know the Scottish philosopher who famously put uh, you know some bread in a teacup and uh, some you know some jam on his tea leaves or whatever oh, yeah I've often done that yeah <laughs> you know he mixed everything up you know he had no common sense but yeah he wrote you know the the foundation text of modern economics um, um I've certainly I've certainly then put my bread in my teacup or put the you know put like socks in the fridge or something but I've I've yet to write the founding text of uh, <laughs> economics uh, but you never know there's still plenty of time ahead of me nothing that I've ever done has been motivated by my sense of mortality really in fact but recently I've tried to be creative again because I see that's the source of uh, not being unhappy or that I, that it was like something that I could do to get myself out of you know sort of professional rut where I was just doing these like terrible jobs which I wasn't really coping for I was like sort of trying to see what my skills were so I had some sort of creative brain but for that was only in the last maybe two years or something for a long long time I wasn't doing anything I was just like going to these terrible jobs coming home drinking <clears throat> chasing women <laughs> feeling unhappy about drinking too much and chasing women we want to be seen to be as you know, a good guy by as many people as possible. Really? I mean, are you not motivated by that? No, no. I want, I want to be hated and loved. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, no, no, no. I want, I want to be reviled and at the same time absolutely adored. I don't want any middle ground. I don't want people to think, oh yeah, he's all right. The more of a good guy someone is, the blander they are. Yeah, a good guy is just someone who, oh, he always picks up his tab at the golf course. Yeah. And uh, he'll always give you a lift home. And his wife's really nice, and uh, at Christmas they have a nice party on Boxing Day or something. He doesn't come out of any opinions which yeah. kind of upset everyone or annoy other people. I mean, but why would you want to? It's your goal to come out with opinions that. It's not so much that I want that, it's just that I feel that by do, getting to that point, you know, you'll have established the thoughts in your head which are important to you and you won't just be going along with the herd. You'll yeah. have thought everything out for yourself. Yeah. No, um, you've, I've heard you say this before, like sometimes you say things as a, as a means of like thinking out loud in, in the yeah. same way that you would. And I, I've, I've done the same as well. So Experimental thought. Yeah, I mean, the other day I was at, um, uh, I was at a party, someone's birthday party, and it was quite late at night had a bit to drink and I was talking to this person and I was she said she asked me what do you do you sometimes get that kind of what question what do you do it's the worst question it's the most boring question you can ask someone so I just thought I'm just going to lie to this person so I told her that I was an independent filmmaker and I was working on my first feature yeah. and um, she was plausible just, <laughs> fairly plausible yeah if, I mean if you you know say it with enough conviction and I would just ended up talking about how you direct actors and things and, and my strategy was my strategy was that I would take lots of long takes and I would rehearse the actors as much as possible until they uh, until they got to a point where they were sort of they were just sort of doing it in an automatic way which isn't even something that I it was just something that I read in a book uh, by, a, by a director 
uh, Robert Bresson. So, but she is repeating the same lines, or uh, no, just sort of repeating the same ideas, right? That he'd come up with. But isn't like you saying you're, that you're a film director? Isn't that equivalent to what you should do to, for your own career? You should just make something up, try it out, see how possible it is, and then, and then maybe, just maybe, it'll work, and, and like actually, you will, you will like it. Like uh, you know, the only reason I'm a web designer is the fact that I, I well, I had done a bit of HTML. But I met someone in a in a pub situation, in a in a venue, and uh, we got chatting. And he said, "Well, I need a, a website, and I'll give you a hundred and fifty English pounds to build me the, that that website." And so I, I took it on, and that was me. I, I actually enjoyed it. I think having the confidence and talking of yourself in that way is 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 a large part of it. You know, it's getting involved in that sort of thing. I mean, today in my job, someone said to me, so are you involved with, with the arts in any way? And uh, I just sort of went, no, no, not really. Uh, and then, so now that's me, like you're saying, now that's, that's me cast as that. It's, no, it's just some guy. So whenever something comes up, that person that I was speaking to is probably just going to overlook me in that case. But in that situation, if it hadn't have been 10 o'clock in the morning when I was feeling tired and hungry and in need of some caffeine if it went yeah totally yeah why are you maybe something and I could have said yeah I've, I've just released my first album of uh, in- instrumental you know theremin recordings have you not heard my podcast yeah <laughs> I think maybe that was a good thing to say because uh, a lot of people in the arts are quite competitive mm. and uh, if they think you're in the arts as well like that's the point where the knives will come out, uh, mm. and maybe that will give you, you know, the opportunity to be. Oh, he he's a good guy, because a he's not a threat to me. Yeah, you know? I don't think it's doable. I don't think you can be friends with people from your work. No, it's not. It's always going to come. It's always going to rebound on you. A lot of people do though. Yeah, uh, a lot of people meet their. Apparently, that's the number one place to meet your partner. Is it yeah. work? Never done that. Never even. No. Met her. No, I haven't. Because now, what, but, what do you do at the end of the day? Because normally you, you go, okay, spent eight hours with you. What are you doing now? <laughs> that just seems unnatural. Do you think you'd like to work from home? Um, no. I mean, I've had that long spell of unemployment where it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't conducive. How long were you unemployed for? I, I was unemployed from... The end of uh, January until now, till today. Okay, so it's almost six months. Six months, Um, and you had the you were going to write your novel, and you did write a first draft. Yep. Um, But but how was it in terms of productivity towards the end? Like, were you getting in the hours? No, by the end I wasn't being productive. The only thing I was being productive about was applying for jobs. Right. I suppose that was a everything else was secondary. At that yeah, point. It got to the point where money was just such an issue that I couldn't, I couldn't even think about anything else. But I mean, I know you find it mysterious how you got this job, or you know, like how people get jobs in general. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes think that's like true of all human interaction. Like human beings are quite opaque to me. Like I can never quite work out the motivations 
of what people are doing at any one time um, and how, you know, maybe is the only way to understand society is to look at it in the aggregate and start saying, oh, well, you know, statistically, you're 10% more likely to get a job if, you know, you put this on your CV. Mm. Um, well, at least it ticks a box. Mm. I suppose there are like uh, 40 boxes and some CVs tick more boxes than others. But, yeah, you can only really tell from the person themselves. Um, although I will say, you know, like I really like Steve Jobs, uh, his quote about, like, people are either heroes or bozos. And you can tell the bozos because they don't have any attention to detail. And, you know, they'll just string together sentences that don't make no grammatical sense. Don't make no grammatical sense. <laughs> exactly, like me. <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't a bozo. But, um, yeah. You know, like, there's a attention, to, attention to detail. And, like, you can see it in people. Like, CV, something that presumably you've worked on for a while, you know, in some people it's, like, full of spelling mistakes or, you know, just, like, it looks crap. I remember the first CV that I saw was with a person that I went to uni with and she told me that she had this... It was an A4-page landscape divided into, like, four... Uh, with a sort of cross in the middle, four boxes... And uh, it just had like, it was clip art in it, like a little clip art telephone next to a telephone number. And um, like under her education history, there was like a clip art pencil. Uh, under her job history, there was like calculator, even though there was nothing. And uh, this was like the, literally the first CV I'd ever seen. And I just thought, if this is a CV, I can't do this. This is too good. I'll never be able to do anything <laughs> as good as this. Ever and then my first CV did look quite a lot like that. Although I didn't do four, I did two, but I did do it landscape and I did put a clip art telephone because I thought that's the fucking business <laughs> that's going to get me the job. And then it didn't. And then it was only after I was unemployed for the first time after uni that I showed someone at the job centre my CV and it was like get all of the best pictures and why is it got five different fonts on it and. Um, yeah, but maybe that's, maybe, you know, maybe nowadays they, they need a clip art telephone. But I think the problem was that I'd never, ever really thought about a job or a career in that sense. Like, it's something that I never, there was never really anything that I wanted to be, is what I mean, beyond something nebulous like writer, which you can, you know, you can, you can retire from a job in MI5 and be a writer or whatever. But I never really thought about it that way. So I just ended up doing these really neb like a philosophy degree, which is it's it's not a vocational subject. It's not something that's going to prepare you for any career. And then when that finished, I still didn't even have. Maybe I should have had that like shock of mortality. Maybe that would have shocked me into doing some doing something more useful. But I didn't. I just went through all these sort of series of jobs. Then I did another did another master's degree. And now now there's still not anything that I really want want to do. I mean, would you? I mean, you didn't ever choose to be a web designer unless you think of that sort of seminal moment when someone offered you money yeah. in a bar. That was just the moment. Yeah, that, that, that was the... But I, I really enjoyed it. And it was one of those things where you get a hobby and suddenly you think, oh, OK, I can actually make money from this. Because I, I wanted to be a writer for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, would get up every morning and just stare at the blank screen, despairing quietly. Well, what, what I think I mean is... Is there ever a moment in someone's life when they say, now, now I've chosen to be the man that I want to be? Or does it just come to a point where you're like, oh, okay, five years have passed, 
and I'm kind of I'm I'm the man I want to be. For the most part, I think most people just drift in mm. to the things, whether they want to be them or not. I mean, very few people ever think, "Who do I want to be?" Um, I do think there's like the difference between narrow people, narrow focused people, and open people. You know, like the dilettantes. So the focused people. Uh, the people like Steve Jobs who say, you know, I, I, I've got this business and I'm going to spend 16 hours a day focused on this and then go and sleep. He'll neglect his family. He'll neglect his social life. He'll neglect everything apart from this company. You know, and all he was concerned about is design of products, design of software and marketing. And that's all he did all day, every day. And there are people I know who, who are, you know, like artists and all they do is their art. You know, they don't spend time playing guitar, mm. you know, or going out and, do, you know, they they enjoy life, but they also just spend all their f- working time doing art. Uh, you know, they don't try and, I don't know, uh, you know, do, yeah, web, do web design at the same yeah, time. And they're not trying to improve their scoring. They're not trying to, yeah, I'm going to try and get a really good backhand in tennis or anything like that. Yeah. They're focused, whereas there's yeah. dilettantes who, who, oh yeah, I do a bit of weekend painting, or, you know, or I, you know, I, I, I like playing the acoustic guitar, or, um, and I mean, I suppose, you know, these, the focused people are the ones who have chosen, and it's very few people who are comfortable choosing, you know, because for the most part, even when you do the thing you love, uh, you don't necessarily enjoy it yeah. once you've started doing it. I think in, on that description, then I'm sort of like a dilettante that has like a, or now has like a day job, which isn't even like something that I would, you know, it's not something that takes up a lot of my focus that then my, like the, my sort of side project is a distraction from. It's literally just something to bring the money in. So maybe I've got my, maybe I've got my focus all around. I've not even got a focus. I'm not focused on anything at the moment. Not even writing. No, my focus on that's shifted away just because it was just such a long period. But you don't feel like you just want to finish the writing and 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 at least at least be able to submit something to a publisher and say, "Come on, guys." I think that, I think I need yeah I think I need to go back, but like you're saying, sometimes that's not an enjoyable thing to do. Or try a new thing, mm. try a new writing thing. Yeah. Or you want to try a new thing thing? No, I don't want to try a new thing thing. Like, I don't know, build a, yeah, sort of take up sculpture or something. No, I don't want to do anything like that. Yeah. Direct your first film. Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like a bit of a hassle to me. It does sound like, it involves too many, there's too many variables, too many people involved. Yeah. Stick to the page. Yeah. You could write a screenplay. That's yeah. like being a director, but you just do it in your head and then... Yeah, and then someone it takes it away and ruins it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to... I mean, I think the main thing about being focused is being able to say no. Being able to say no to everything else. You know, even if it sounds really good, someone says, oh, we can do this. And it's like, no. No, I'm not going to do that because I've got to... I suppose the most profound experience of love I've had is just... From between me and my parents and my immediate family, I've never been. I mean, obviously, non-sexual love. Just to sort of stress that there for just, all the <laughs> listeners out there. Just an unconditional, yeah, unconditional affection, s- especially from my mum and my dad. 
you know, what is love? And I could just kept thinking of that Hadaway song. <laughs> yeah. Baby, don't hurt me. It doesn't me. even give you an answer, does it? Don't he just hurt keeps saying, me. what is love? Well, no, I think his, his point is that love is kind of pain. Oh. And, uh, like, he's a bit like Proust. Like, Proust talks about how love is um, defined by that feeling of sexual jealousy. You know, all the lovers in Proust. You know, uh, uh, you know the swan relationship and the, uh, you know, the Albertine and uh, Marcel relationship, they're all defined by this moment of absolute agony, of sexual jealousy. Mm. And I was wondering, I don't think that's necessarily true of me, who's, you know, been in a very, you know, happy uh, relationship for over a decade. Um, And I was also thinking, my God, no one wants to hear about your you know, uxorious relationship <laughs> with your wife. Um, but I think, not necessarily, you know, sexual love or even love between the parents, but I think that every time uh, a man or a woman person does something good, it's out of love. And that can be, you know, you can go back to your sort of um, Steve Jobs, your hero, Steve Jobs. He did that out of love. He He really loved that company and loved what they were producing and you know, if he loved that to the exclusion of his family, well, that's his problem. He's he's dead now. His family can move on now from that. But I think it was love that love that made him do that. And sometimes, yeah, like, it definitely wasn't uh, money or yeah, you know, any of the things. Yeah, uh, and certainly sometimes when I think down and try and do my creative things, sometimes feel like I'm not really I'm not feeling that. Not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it to the point where I could sit down and work for sixteen hours on, on it. But I think that will come. I don't think. I don't think I've made the, uh, the wrong choice. In in choosing, you know, where I want to put my, passions into. But I just feel like you know the the love isn't there, at the moment, and that's why I've put it to one side. Maybe that just maybe that's an immature. Attitude, maybe that shows my immature attitude to relationships. That when when I'm not getting the the love back, I just sort of abandon it for a while. Maybe I'll be a terrible father. I, I suppose it is motivation. Uh-huh. Like it's it's different motivations, and you know whether that's the motivation of the craftsman of of pride, mm. you know, like love of what you're doing in terms yeah. of pride, or whether it's like wanting to get love from like the masses from expressing yourself in some way and getting some recognition my god we're all addicted to the bloody red sign on top of facebook that says you've been you know someone's liked your thing however banal that thing is oh no it's just an event invitation no i thought people were liking the hilarious reference to i don't know the Taiwan or whatever so um you know that 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 kind of love that's another kind of love i Mm. suppose um, I don't think any love or any kind of creative passion come, uh, any creative, uh, you know, like uh, desire to do stuff comes out of compassion. Yeah, certainly not, not a creative thing, and I don't think that. Uh, and that's the second one you were giving that sort of love, as in you want love. I don't know how many good things have came out of that desire to be loved well possibly Steve Jobs was motivated by that because he was abandoned as a child he was put up for adoption and uh, a lot of people think that 
his drive comes from this feeling of abandonment. Possibly, but I think it's maybe closer to the the, the first one of the the pride, the craftsmanship mm. example. And I think that's probably something to aspire to rather than uh, you know th- having this sort of adulation as an end. Yeah. But something to aim to. I don't. Just trying to think of, you know, I keep, for some reason, through that conversation, I kept getting, you know, Michael Bay, the Transformers director. Yeah. I just wonder, if you ever see him speaking, uh, interviews and things, he's, he's really in love he's with uh, these horrible, uh, noisy, really sort of hard-to-follow films. Not hard-to-follow in the sense of plot, but... If you ever seen the Transformers film, it's like all these Too much CGI, going on the screen. Yeah, but he, he really is genuinely... Yeah, this is the greatest thing. Oh, we've got this pyramid and we're going to blow it up, sort of thing. And uh, I was just trying to see which, you know, what slot he falls into. I mean, he's. Well, he's clearly someone with a lot of energy and passion. Mm. And maybe, I, I used to think that money. maybe. He's got a lot of money. That was the problem. Like, maybe, like, too much energy is being wasted worrying about stuff. And if I could just focus that, you know, energy, that kind of, you know, sense of, uh, you know, internal power and overflowing energy you could do anything Mm. um whereas i think a lot of people waste energy just worrying about stuff or or trying to be something or trying to you know impress people um whereas if you yeah if you just focus that energy it doesn't work out like that and i I suppose I, i get this quietist philosophy you know like this kind of taoist buddhist type thing where i quite like the idea of just being of just being a human being in the world, uh, eating and sleeping and just being. And that anything that happens, anything I produce or anything I do, is like a flower, Mm. you know, just blooming. You know, it's like a natural process rather than some volitional, you know, thing. Yeah, well, I feel like the idea of that. Yeah, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was a writer as well and he went through a sort of similar uh, crisis when he finished a like a long course where he had to write something and then he went into a job and he was he felt you know very similar he didn't put it in the ways of quietism but he basically said now I've sort of I gave up on writing for so long and I never there's never a time where I sit down in front of a page or in front of a laptop and write something but sometimes I'll be somewhere else uh, maybe I'll be outside and I have to put it on my phone or I'll be doing something else and then suddenly something will come and I've written something and if I do that's like a lovely bonus and um, certainly he seemed a lot happier than any time I'd seen him in the past. Did he have a job at the same time? Or? Yeah, he's got a job now, yeah. But he just seemed... He liked that rather than the kind of John Updike idea of just treating it like a profession. You sit at your desk for, you know, five hours a day. Yeah, I mean, if you have if you have that, uh, that updike luxury of being able to sit down at your desk because you're independently wealthy and you can you can sit down and scratch out your... 600 words a day or whatever, then apparently Susan Sontag had like a computer in every room uh, and in every room she was writing a different thing. So in one room she'd be writing a novel, in another room she'd write an essay, in another room she might write an acceptance speech to something. But every room had its own focus. I was watching this film last night and it was called Something's Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give. Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. And um, I was watching it with the sound off, but... When they're old? Or? Yeah, they were old and like, they sort of fall in love and... 
Jack Nicholson's going out with like a younger woman, and there's Keanu Reeves in it as well. But the bit that uh, that um, made me want to put the sound on was um, there's a bit where they do a lot of instant messaging, but it was like really sort of early instant messaging. I don't even know, uh, maybe it was two thousand and four or like something. AOL. It was like AOL, yeah, and they were sort of typing in. Uh, it was like sort of like you know two sort of silver surfers having this relationship the thing and there's a bit where they have this really emotional moment where Jack Nicholson's about to type I miss you and then he types I miss space why space it's like well, why have you done that space anyway that wasn't really the point I just thought it was weird that he did the space before he wrote the OU um, <laughs> but then he, so he doesn't he deletes it and then he goes well I'm going to bed now enter and then Diane Keaton bursts into tears she's uh, she's a playwright I should say and then she rushes to her desk and then uh, there's this montage set to this sort of really dramatic strings which starts off with her like floods of tears typing out this first uh, uh, draft of her play which is like you know the what was her name like Emily let me start from the beginning I fell in love with my daughter's boyfriend and then there's like the montage goes on with her like you know, coming through her grief, sort of starting off sad, and then there's like this bit where at the end she's like, yes, like sort of running in her chair. She's finished her play based on her life uh, with the seasons changing and her sort of sitting down and gripped by this. And did you like this? No, I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like, no one. I mean, I've heard people sort of say, oh, you should really get in it, you should get into a mood when you want to, to write something. But I think that the stuff you produce when you're in those moods are the most sort of... If you're a man, they're the most sort of, like, turgid, Bukowski-esque. Yeah. It's a grind. I mean, you can maybe sustain that for a couple of sentences, but she was she was effectively to written a whole play in this heightened pitch. But it's a film. <laughs> I know, it but... It doesn't matter. I, I know, but I just find that it's hard to get, get across that sort of grinding boredom, because yeah. a lot of it is just sort of staring... The screen, so they made it seem like that wonderful, uh, like roller coaster of emotion. So then, when I sit down, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm a little bit depressed. I'm going to write a play about a little bit depressed guy, and I'm going to sustain it, and by the end, I'll be elated in 24 hours or however long it takes. It doesn't really work like that. You right. can sort of chip away at something, and it it can be yeah. difficult. There must be points where even like a Steve Jobs feels the feels the grind, feels the pressure. And that's where I think that you have to have that love to get you through. So what about finding love? I mean, uh, is that like finding a job? I don't think it's really a priority for for me. I just think. What is more depressing, uh, searching for jobs online or searching for love online? Searching for jobs online, without a doubt. Job. I mean, it's a necessity. You have to have a job to do, or you know, just fun tokens just to get some money to come in so you can go out and do things and meet people yeah. meet people but I don't think love's a priority I don't think love should be a priority I heard a really interesting thing the other day which is that the person who speaks first in a meeting uh, in 80% of occasions their opinion is followed through yeah. uh, at the end of the meeting no matter you know what happens with the rest of the discussion, the person who speaks first, the person who's asserted themselves, uh, is the person everyone listens to. Because the thing is, Stephen, everyone's making it all up. You know, nobody knows what they're doing, and so for one person to have the, enough confidence just to say something, like people think, well, they they probably know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. you know, well, we'll follow that guy. 
maybe that should be my strategy then next time I'm in a meeting just speak first yeah, get, have something I'm going to say say it first and then just sit back and not say anything for the rest so that is the end of the recording from 2012 and I'm just going to make a quick comment at the end so this is the first time I've properly listened back to it uh, just now as I've edited out a few ums and ahs although not that many and uh, you know I think for me it's it's interesting as a kind of character portrait of people in time you know we never really know where we're going and what we're doing but we make these stabs in the dark that help form our lives and for whatever reason this is where we were at that time and I hope that both me and S can integrate these things so uh, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time